Of course, it is uh, Father's Day today, so I hope that, that you guys, that you're going to have a great day today, that you're going to go home and your wife is, your wife's going to cook you your favorite meal, and you're going to get to sit in the chair all day and watch the U.S. Open. So that is, that is my hope for you. That is my prayer for myself. I don't know if it's going to happen or not. Uh, but today, we are going to be continuing our study through the book of Philemon. Uh, so if you have your Bible and you say, I'd like to kind of, I'd kind of like to look there and read along with you, uh, we're going to be looking in Philemon, and we're going to start in verse number 8 today. It's a very short book. I told you all last week, one of the girls in church, one of the youth, she, whenever I said it was in Philemon, she asked me if it was filet mignon. Uh, so I'd never heard that one before, but it is in the second service. When I think about that, I'm starting to get hungry. So uh, Philemon, we're going to look in verse number 8, and we're going to be talking about today, what is it that makes a church great and you know and, and i think that applies to us for us what what is it that can make village church a great church biblically speaking um i i read a story about trains and if you look at trains and the the power that is behind them it's, it's pretty mind-boggling to see what a train can do i mean some trains can be uh, around two miles long and they can pull the cars pretty much anywhere anywhere that they want to go. They can pull them up steep mountain inclines. They can go down them. They can run through the desert. They can go through snow. It's absolutely incredible the power that's behind a train. But there's only one thing that you have to do in order to stop a train. In order to be able to keep it from moving, the only thing that you have to do is to get the train off the tracks. And it doesn't matter how powerful the engine is at that point. If a train is not running on its tracks, it's not going to be able to move one inch. And the same thing is true for those of us who are followers of Jesus. You know, there are so many incredible things that we can do because of the power of God that works in us. Uh, there is forgiveness that can occur through the life of a believer because of the power of God. There are incredible answered prayers that occur because of the power of God in our lives. But if as believers, we get off track in our relationship with God, let me tell you something. We're not going to move one inch. We're not going to do anything. And I think that's what happens to a lot of us as believers and to a lot of churches. I, I really believe every believer and every church has a desire to be a great church. We have desires to be great people, to be great, great people of God. And yet what happens a lot of times is we end up getting off track and, and we don't move an inch. And so what we do many times is we will sacrifice the things of God because we want to be accepted by the people around us. We, we, will, we will take what God's Word says and we'll say, well, you know, let's just sort of avoid these areas so that we can remain popular with culture. Now, we can do that, and we can be well-liked by the world, but let me tell you something, we will lose our power. Now, the track that the church is to run on and that believers are to run on, Scripture. God has given us this book, these words, for us to live our lives by so that we can experience God's power working through us. We're told in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it says all Scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete or equipped 
for every good work. Now, today in our passage of scriptures, we continue in the study in the book of Philemon, and we're going to see Paul mention some different actions that people of God and that churches can take in order to become great. And, and some of these actions might surprise you a little bit, because I think we have in our minds, you know, what it is that makes a church great. I mean, I know that in my mind, I think, you know, a church is great if they have great facilities, or if they have a, a, a great band, or if the preacher speaks in a way that I can understand. And I say, those are the things that make a great church. And now, there's nothing wrong with any of those things, but it's interesting to see that the Bible doesn't speak of any of those things as making a great church. So the question is, well, what makes a great church? Well, that's why we're going to look today in Philemon chapter, or verse number one, or chapter 1 and verse number 8. And I, and I want to give you a quick little reminder uh, about what this book is about, the background to, to it. It's Paul wrote this letter. And of course, when Paul wrote the letter, y'all remember where he was? He's in jail again. Uh, Paul's in prison. He's in Rome, in the Roman jail. He's there because, he, uh, because of his faith. And uh, he had met this guy named Onesimus, which is, uh, I think James said that the, he and Lauren are going to name their baby that if they, if they have a boy. And well, actually, they're having a girl. They, can, they can't name her that. So anyway, so this Onesimus was a, a slave who had run away from his master, whose name was Philemon. And he ran into Paul, and uh, Paul ends up telling him about Jesus, which is what Paul's always doing. And, uh, and this guy, Onesimus, ends up becoming, becoming a Christian. And then Paul finds out his story, he finds out that he stole from his master, finds out that he ran away from his master. Paul said, hey, you know what, we've got to make things right. He said, I need you, I'm going to write this letter, I'm going to send it with you, you return to your master, give it to him, and then we're going to see what happens. Now that's a pretty scary prospect for Onesimus. So, so last week what we saw is we saw when Paul started this letter, we saw that he addressed it to Philemon and his family and also to the church. He kind of, he kind of, you know, softened them up a little bit. Said, "You guys are great. You're doing a great job." And then in this week, we're going to see is he he takes the butter off and he says, "Now let me let me tell you what I'm expecting out of you." And Paul, these expectations that he has, these actions that he calls for them to have in their lives, says, "These are what will make you a great church. Will make you great people." So, so what actions make a great church? And here's the first thing that I see in our text today. What makes a great church is a great church will operate on the basis of love. A great church will be a church that loves. Now look with me in verse number 8. Paul wrote, For this reason, although I have great boldness in Christ to command you to do what is right, so he's saying this to Philemon, he said, I appeal instead on the basis of love. I, Paul, as an elderly man, and now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child whom I fathered while in chains, Onesimus. Now, Paul knew that Philemon had, had power, had authority over Onesimus. Whenever Onesimus went back, I mean, he's a runaway slave, Philemon owned him. And so whenever he came back, Philemon had the power and the authority to do whatever he wanted to do with Onesimus. And you might remember last week I said under Roman law, if you had a runaway slave, the owner could put his slave to death. But Paul appeals to him here. He says, listen, I don't want you to operate with Onesimus on the basis of your authority. I want you to operate with him on the basis of love. And so he, Paul starts telling Philemon what to do. 
How many of you like it when people start telling you what to do? Y'all like that? Husbands, it's Father's Day today. We can be honest. I'm kidding. Don't be honest. Lie. No, we, none, of us, none of us really enjoy being told what to do. Here's Paul. What's he telling Philemon? He says, Philemon, this is what you ought to do, and I'm telling you to do it. Now, I look at that, and I think, who does Paul think he is? You know, why, why does he think that he has the ability to tell somebody what to do? Philemon's a, he's a grown man. You know, Philemon, as a matter of fact, he is, uh, he's a guy who has quite a bit of power and authority. We know that from Scripture, we know he's, he's a wealthy guy. Uh, he's a wealthy guy, we know this, because he owned at least one slave, so you had to have the means to take care of them. We know the church met in his house. So just simply to own a house, to have a house big enough for people to come and to worship there meant that you had to have money. I mean, he is on a totally different social status level than Paul was. Paul's in prison. And he says, I'm going to tell you what to do. So, so where did Paul get his authority? Well, he had a different kind of authority. He, he didn't have wealth as his authority. He had the leadership given to him by God. As a matter of fact, he is called the Apostle Paul. You know, you know what an apostle is? An apostle is someone, to be an apostle, you had to have a relationship. You had to know physically, be, have been with Jesus physically. So I, I am not an apostle. I, 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 you know, I, I missed the time, right? I, I didn't live during the days of Jesus. Well, Paul had an experience with Jesus on the Damascus Road. He was given power by God to be an apostle to perform miracles. Paul mentions this in 2 Corinthians 12. 12. He said, the signs of an apostle were performed with great, with great endurance among you, not only signs, but also wonders and miracles. So Paul said, I have authority from God to tell you what to do. But he said, I'm not going to use that authority. He said, I want you to operate on the basis of love when Onesimus comes to you. Now, why should we operate on the basis of love? Why is that such a big deal for Christians? Because the very essence of who God is, is love. 1 John 4.8 very simply tells us, God is love. And as followers of Jesus, the core of who we are, as, as believers individually, as a church, should have, we should have love. Romans 12.10 says, show family affection to one another with brotherly love. Outdo one another in showing honor. Jesus said in John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus said, a new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples by the love you have for one another. Now, Paul wasn't just a big talker. He was a doer. And when it came to being a person of love, that's who Paul was. Remember, he's, Paul's in prison because of his faith. Why? Because he loved Jesus. And he was, telling, he was telling Philemon, I want you to live like I do based off of love. And then Paul went on and said, I want you to love Onesimus. And Paul said in verse number 10, he said his son, Onesimus was his son. He said, I am his father. Now what's he talking about here? Was he his physical father? No. He was his father, his spiritual father. Paul is the one who had told Onesimus about Jesus. And so he had become a follower of Jesus. So what did that mean? It now meant that he was a part of the family of God. 
So Paul said, whenever he comes to you, I want you to receive him like he were my son. Now, now let me ask you a question. If, if you were in your office, and let's say, uh, let's say somebody came into your office and it was Billy Graham's son, you're like Franklin Graham. Now, my guess is that most of us would say, you know, when it comes to Billy Graham, I mean, I like Billy Graham, I admire the work that he did, I respect him as a person. I think even people who aren't Christians, I think a lot of them would say the same thing. Now, if Billy Graham's son came into your office, how are you going to treat him? I mean, if he walked into your office tomorrow. Now, now my guess is that you're going to be, oh, that is really cool, Billy Graham's son's here. And you're going to treat him with honor and respect, even if you don't know him, because of who he's related to. Does that make sense? Say, well, I'm going to honor him because I like his dad a lot. That's what Paul's saying here. Paul's saying, Onesimus is coming back to you. I want you to honor him like you would honor me because he's my son. See, whenever we come into a relationship with Jesus, we become a part of his family. In Galatians 4, 4 and 5, it says, When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. That means that we're part of God's family. Church, if we follow Jesus, we're part of God's family. Therefore, we need to act accordingly. If we're in his family, we need to act like our father. Uh, last year, Emily and I, we, uh, we have Netflix, and there was a show that came out that we, we really enjoyed. It was called The Crown. Any of y'all, did any of y'all watch The Crown? All right, so yeah, it's about, it's about Queen Elizabeth II, whenever she, you know, it's going through her life, so she becomes the queen, and one thing you figure out about her is she is a lady who is very committed to duty and honor. I mean, everything she does, she does it for the crown. Now, she happened to have, she happened to have a younger sister named Margaret, Princess Margaret, and uh, Princess Margaret was a little bit of a, you know, she was sort of, she was sort of wild. And she was never, you know, she's never satisfied. She's always kind of pushing the limits. And Queen Elizabeth kind of wants to help her out a little bit and give her something to do. She says, no, there's going to be some events, and I would like for you to represent me. And so just kind of giving her some responsibility. So she begins to represent her sister, but she does it with a little bit of flair. And she does that because she thinks her sister's boring. She goes, I need to liven things up here. And so she's kind of wild. She speaks her mind. Looks like the press loves her. Well, Winston Churchill, who's the prime minister during this time, saw what she was doing, and he, and he went to her, and he had a private meeting with her, and here's the conversation. He came up to Princess Margaret. He said, Your Royal Highness, when you appear in public performing official duties, you are not you. And she looked at him, and she said, Of course I'm me. And he said, No, you're not. He said, It's the crown. He said, they have come not to see you, they have come to see the crown. Now, I watched that and I thought, man, that's what I do. You know, I, I look at the Christian life, I, I, I look at my walk with God, and I think I need, to kind of, I need to spice things up a little bit, make it kind of fun. Let me tell you something. This life's not, it's not about me. Christians, your life is not about you. You don't need to spice anything up. You just need to be obedient to Jesus. People are looking for the crown. They're looking for Jesus. They're not looking for you. They're not looking for me. They need to see Jesus. Paul was telling Philemon, listen, don't act in your rights. Act like your heavenly father. How would he act? He acts in love. So, so receive Onesimus 
love. And what makes a great church? When we operate on the basis of love. What makes a great church? Another thing is when we believe, when we actually believe in the power of the gospel. That will make a great church. Look with me in verses um, 11 and 12. This is what Paul said about, about Onesimus. He says, once he was useless to you, but now he is useful to both you and me. I am sending him a part of myself back to you. Now, this is kind of interesting. There's a little bit of wordplay going on here. The name Onesimus means useful. And then Paul says, and I know to you he's been useless. Now, why was he useless? Remember what he did to him? He, he stole from Philemon, then he made matters worse. He ran away from him. He didn't have a good track record. I'm sure whenever he came back, I'm sure Philemon was like, oh, goody, he's coming back. Can't wait for him to get back and put him back to work because he's going to do such a great job. I mean, he's thinking, this guy is useless. He's not going to do me any good. He doesn't make any contributions. I'm sure whenever he saw him, he's like, I can't wait to get a hold of this guy and wring his neck. But then Paul said, while he may have been useless to you, he said, now he is useful to you and to me. Remember, he'd been serving Paul. Now, here, here's my thought. And I'm, I can be a little bit jaded sometimes, but here's my belief. I believe very rarely do people change. Now, I don't know if that's good or not. That's just sort of my thought. I just sort of watch people, and here's what I think. I think if you are a jerk when you're young, you're going to be a jerk when you're old. I don't think you become more gracious as you age. Um, I think if you're a person who lies when you're young... You're probably going to be a liar when you get old. That's 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 pretty good thought, isn't it? I said, well, people don't change. Think you're just sort of who you are. So what changes a person? Here's what I think. I think there's one thing that will transform and change a person's life. It's Jesus. I really believe that. I believe Jesus is the one who will transform a person. So Second Corinthians five seven seventeen tells us. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new things have come. Jesus changes people. Now, I'm sure that Philemon looked at, looked at Onesimus and he thought, this guy has been just a, he's been a drag on me for years. And when he comes back, I guarantee you the first thing he's going to do is he's going to bail out on me. That's why Paul said, ah, remember, this guy was touched by Jesus. Let me tell you something, we're in a church, we say this all the time. If somebody becomes a follower of Jesus, their life is changed. Now we say that, right? Here's a question, do you really believe that? If you see some crazy, wild person all of a sudden showing up in church and they become a follower of God, do you think, yep, God's changed them? Or do you think, ain't no way God could change that guy? That's That's sort of what I tend to think. But let me tell you something, if Jesus is real... He changes people. If we're going to be a church that's going to be a great church, we believe in the power of the gospel. Now, now what is the gospel? You know, the word gospel, it it just means good news. Now, why is it good news? Because what we learn in Scripture is that Jesus entered into our world, the Son of God. And he came here and he gave his life as a sacrifice for man so that when we entrust ourselves to him, Our sins are forgiven, and we will live forever in heaven. 
Now, if we really believe in the power of the gospel, then we will believe people will be transformed. And if you really believe it, it means you're going to want to share it. Now, if we really don't believe the gospel message, then we're not going to be too too concerned about the message of Jesus. But if we really believe it, yeah, we're going to share the message of Jesus. Because we will believe and have a conviction that God can take anyone from anywhere and make them into something new. And when you see that happen, it's incredible. Uh, I saw in, in 1960, there was an invention that came out known as bubble wrap. Now, here's what's interesting. Do you know what the original intention was for bubble wrap? Does anybody know? When they made it, they sold it as wallpaper. Can you imagine? Now, I'm sure that whenever they sold it and people bought it, and they lean up against the wall and it starts popping, they're like, we don't want this. It did not, this may not surprise you, but bubble wrap did not do very well as wallpaper. So the guys who invented it said, we really like this product, but we need to sort of repurpose it. And so they did. They turned it into packaging material. And when they did that, it took off. It became, it went from basically making zero money as wallpaper to becoming a $4 billion a year business. Not bad. Now here's a lesson. A change in direction will lead to a change of outcome. Following Jesus is a commitment to change direction. And whenever you surrender your life to Jesus, there is a new outcome that will occur. Now, you, you want to see the world change? You know, do, we, do we want to be difference makers in the community in which we live? And see people filled with hope? And see people serving others that, that we share the gospel? Why? Because it is good news. Why? Because we believe that it changes and transforms lives. That makes a great church. So what makes a great church? Operating on the basis of love. Believing in the power of the gospel and then believing in restoration. Believing that people can actually be restored. The last verses I'll read here, so start with me in verse number 13. Paul said, I wanted to keep him, Onesimus, with me so that in my imprisonment for the gospel he might serve me in your place. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that your good deed might not be out of obligation, but of your own free will. For perhaps this is why he was separated from you for a brief time, so that you might get him back permanently, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a dearly loved brother. This is especially so to me, but even more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Now, now most of us have a pretty good sin radar. I think most of us are able to pick up wrongdoings, especially when they're directed towards us. You know, when somebody does something that, that is wrong towards me, I, man, I pick it up really quick. When I see somebody doing something that goes against what Scripture says, you know, I've, got, I've got sin radar. Like, that, guy, that guy's stepping out of line. I watch somebody on television, and they do something shameful. I sit there, and I watch, and I go, what a moron. Whenever I see people do things against me, they're driving along, they cut me off. I'm looking for justice. I want to see them get a flat tire. I want to see them get pulled over by a policeman so I can drive by and wave at them. Say, God bless you. That's what you get for doing that to me. And so Philemon, I believe Philemon was the same way. Philemon had been wronged. Onesimus stole from him. He ran away from him. He wants justice. And then Paul says, he met Jesus. He's been changed. He's been restored. 
You know, when, when we see people who've fallen and they sin and they mess up, how, how are we to respond to them? Galatians 6, 1 and 2 says, Brothers, if someone is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual should restore such a person with a gentle spirit. That word restore is a medical term. It means to set a broken bone. When you see somebody who's broken, you want to help set the bone in the proper way so it will heal correctly. You know, if you ever break a leg, it's not like you break your leg and go, well, I guess I'll never walk the same again. I broke my leg. It's over. What do you do? You go to the doctor and they, they set it because you want to use it again. Y'all, did y'all, that's the church. You know, the, the church is not for perfect people. So how do you know that? Because I know you. I know me. See, the church is not for perfect people. The church is a place where people come to be restored. You know, think about it like this. If you go to a car dealership and you walk into a car dealership, they have the showroom, right? All the nice cars you look at, it's clean, cars are shiny. Buy one of those cars and your your car breaks down. You don't go, well, I can't use that car anymore. What's beyond the showroom in a car dealership? Service department. That's where the cars get fixed. Instead of us looking at the church as a showroom, we need, we need to begin to look at the church. It is a service department where people need to come in. There's some people that need tune-ups. There's some people that need a brand new engine. They need to be restored. And whenever a car gets fixed, what do you do with it? Do you just leave it in the garage? No, you drive it. You know, there are people who are broken. They need to be restored. And then when, we're st- when they're restored, we want to send them out again so that they can make a difference for Jesus. Onesimus was broken. He met Jesus. He was restored. Paul said he was useless. Now he says he's useful. And Paul said, receive him as a brother. A, a great church is a, is a church that does restoration work. Our job, believe it or not, is my, our job as a church is not to condemn. And that's God's job. My, our job is not to condemn people. Our job is to take broken people and to see them restored. So it makes a great church. We're going to operate on the basis of love. We're going to believe in the power of the gospel and then have a belief in restoration. All right, so saying all that, what does that mean for us? Here's what I believe. I believe there could be some of us here today and it's time for you to show up in the service department. Time for you to come before God and say, God, I am broken and I need to be fixed. God, I am broken and I need to experience healing. It could be some of you are believers, and it's been a long time since you've been close to the Lord. As whenever you're broken, you don't just live with it. You go to the service department. Let God do a healing work in you. Confess your sin to Him. Say, God, forgive me. Some of you might need to, you might need to find a, a place of accountability. We have our V group ministry. I encourage you to check one out so that you can become a part of one of those V groups so that you can have accountability so you can learn together, have support. Others of you, some of you all need, might need a new engine. You need to follow Jesus. Give your life to Him. Do that today. As for going to be a great church, that's a message we are called to share with people. Now what I'd like for us to do is I'd like for us to bow our heads and close our eyes. And I'm just going to lead us in a word of prayer. We'll be dismissed after we sing our final song. But it could be some of you here today, as, as we are bowing heads, you just simply need to talk to God and say, God, I, I want to come to you, and I want you to work in my life and forgive me of my sin. 
God, I need your restoration and your blessings. And others of you need to surrender your life to Jesus today. I'll encourage you just simply to call out to him and just simply say, Jesus, save me. Heal me. Change me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you, Jesus, for the privilege that we have to read Scripture, knowing that it is the track that you've set for us to run on. Lord, bless us as we sing this this final song. God, may we sing it to you. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.